Hey folks, welcome to The Plunge. This week, it's URL leeching into IRL as we talk about internet nonsense worming its way into normie discourse. First up, we have QAnon, the sprawling 4chan conspiracy theory that has melted the brains of too many of your neighbors who are now convinced that Trump and Robert Mueller are bravely battling the deep state against the Democrats' cabal of child sex Satan worship. And that's not all. Cryptid erotica has made its way into a Virginia political race. Right-wing YouTuber Jordan Peterson's daughter Michaela is hawking a beef-only diet. And liberal weirdos Brian and Ed Krasenstein have written a book explaining Trump's sexual misdeeds to children. In pop culture, we're recounting Jeff Mesha's story of Jeremy Jacobson, the ex-cop who rigged McDonald's Monopoly game, how Netflix movies are today's straight-to-video films, and the DC premiere of Dinesh D'Souza's ridiculous revisionist documentary, Death of a Nation. For story time, Dan will tell you a showbiz tale from his days working on the short-lived Food Network show, Sweet Genius. Settle in, folks, as we take you on a wild ride through our political and cultural toilet. This is The Plunge. Folks, it's a brand new day. We have both bought new microphones, so hopefully the show sounds a bit better from uh, now on. Sam, uh, why don't you expose your new voice for the fans? Hello, listeners. This is how I'll be talking the whole time. No, but actually you won't have to hear my like ratty $25 mic that I got on Amazon anymore. Now it actually sounds good. There hasn't really been much to be pleased about in the news. No, but there have been things to laugh about. You seem to be indicating there's a Joe Biden. He had ice cream with Obama the other day. So this sticker that I'm showing you of Joe Biden eating ice cream while wearing his his dipshit aviators, as usual, it also has a bunch of hearts in the background. This was a, a promo that we picked up at the local bookstore that's selling that stupid like Obama and Joe Biden are detectives or something. Barry book. and Joe. Yeah, yeah, whatever the name of it is. I'm not dignifying it with a mention on the podcast, but they're giving these out. So, you know, if you want some Biden stickers, holla at me. Yeah, don't do that. So we're going to roll on to concrete evidence that 23andMe is... Worthy of banishment from our society, uh, Sam, describe the revelation. This is from the Henry Louis Gates PBS Finding Your Roots series featuring one of the foulest men in America. Yes, folks. Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse than Kimberly Guilfoyle discovering that she's like Native American or something... Paul Ryan has all of a sudden discovered, apparently, that he is Jewish. We don't want him, folks. Not to mention, being Jewish is like a cultural thing. <laughs> He's just a Gentile. Yeah, it, it, like saying you're like 3% whatever, it, it's meaningless. But he's still out there on Twitter now saying that he needs to start saying L'chaim when he drinks beers or whatever because he's... Jewish by virtue of his biology, 
apparently. Cool. <laughs> now he's going to have to be invited to the Seder. You happy <laughs> about that? Is that our like equivalent of being invited to the cookout as you're invited to the Seder? <laughs> <God>. <laughs> if that's the case, then Paul Ryan is absolutely not invited to the Seder. I don't know if I speak for all Jews, but Jews don't tend to vote Republican. And if they were going to vote Republican, hopefully they would vote for a better Republican than that guy. I know he probably voted for Hillary, but the Jewish conservative archetype to me is like Dershowitz. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, the conservative Jews, I feel like, aren't even, they're not down with those like post-Tea Party libertarian weirdos like Paul Ryan or whatever. No, and Paul Ryan, I mean, his car was eaten by woodchucks. He's gone through a tough few months, and this is going to look too good for him when it comes to, well, really, the people who comprise much of the Republican base now. These are not people who like the Jews. Yeah, I mean, speaking of which, this is probably a good time to segue into <laughs> this. <laughs> this has become a big media thing, and with very fucking good reason. A Republican candidate in Virginia's, of course, it's always fucking Virginia. It's always my state. This fucking nonsense always either happens in my home state of New Jersey or my adoptive state of Virginia. But Yeah, there's a lot of slime in Virginia. It's absolutely true. Because we've got, like, the North Virginia, like, D.C. slime, and then we have, like, the rural Virginia, you know, let the Confederacy rise again slime. But this guy is more of the latter. He's a candidate in Virginia's 5th con Congressional District. People have accused him of, be him of being a devotee of Bigfoot erotica. Now, apparently if you were in the Tumblr community, Bigfoot erotica and various cryptid erotica is a frequently discussed topic. This flare-up is an indication, though, that I don't think the majority of people really even thought this this was out there. Oh, no, this is definitely... I mean, this is going to be a theme of this episode, but it's something that was extremely online that has, for some godforsaken reason, entered into the discourse, like the respectable discourse on, like, CNN or whatever. This obviously came from social media... I do wonder if there wasn't such a need for constant content, if this would have gotten as much traction as it did. Well, but this is also a very online thing because the opponent who exposed him, Leslie Cockburn, <laughs> all these people have funny names. The Bigfoot erotica guy's name is Denver Riggleman. <laughs> because of course it is. And, Why not? Uh, his opponent is Leslie Cockburn, and she posted this on Twitter. It's a snapshot of his Instagram. Like, this is just how online this is. And thank God she fucking blurred out. It's a picture of Bigfoot, but there's a big black box to cover up his Bigfoot, like, dick. Thank God. At least it's tasteful. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we got to maintain civility even when you're exposing your political opponent's love of Bigfoot erotica. But people have made a big noise about how, oh, wow, there's, uh, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and there's some socialists out there. It's like, OK, well, there's also <laughs> something way further in the other direction, like a bunch of these crazy white nationalists, apparently Bigfoot fetishists are running around trying to be in your halls of power. Trying to smash. 
try to smash Bigfoot. And of course, Dan, we had a conversation with Rachie about whether you would rather fuck Bigfoot or the Loch Ness monster. And Correct. I was roundly criticized for my decision to stay with the mammalian choice and choose Bigfoot. I think I will take the Eichenwald option of tentacle. <laughs> You've got more nautical, I guess, sexual desires than I do. But yeah, I guess to the older listeners who aren't as maybe or anyone who's not as online as us, the, this is the world that Dan and I live in. Bigfoot erotica, what else is new? Well, I feel like this all ties into our next topic, which has gained traction to the point where it has now I mean it's 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 in cable news in this cycle, so I feel like we got to talk about it because it's a plunge sort of topic. This is, I guess, a sh- we want to just talk about QAnon. <laughs> yes, this is another online thing that we're going to have to explain for the normal people out there in the audience. So before you just rule this out and say, like, oh, I don't have to know about this, this is something that has been supported by people like Sean Hannity, people like Roseanne, Kurt Schilling... James Woods, Alex Jones, and I guess Roseanne was really the most prominent voice. That was honestly where I first heard of QAnon was that people would say, like, how could Disney hire Roseanne when she's, like, tweeting about what this conspiracy theory suggests? So what this theory suggests is, I think think it's kind of in line with the Pizzagate allegations that... Democrats are driven to power mainly because they want to have sex with kids. Satanic, uh, ritualistic routines that they engage in. Yes. And so this theory originated with this guy, Q, who was posting on 4chan, which is like an infamous kind of anonymous, largely anonymous online forum for sharing gross things, I guess. But... One of the big things in this is that Trump like has it all fucking figured out. He's like the 12th dimensional chess master. And Mueller is secretly, what, working with Trump? And it's all a farce. They're trying to defeat this tyranny of the deep state, of like the FBI and the CIA and stuff. It's basically QAnon fans think of themselves as detectives. They think of themselves as these like sleuths. Yes who take the vague bits of information shared by this anonymous Q whatever (laughs) person who they think is a high-level Trump official who is speaking directly for Donald Trump. The best is that some people think he's actually Trump. Well, they suggested this. I think a lot of this came after Trump said the storm is coming in a meeting in like uh... on October 5th, 2017, during a photo opportunity before a military dinner. He said that the dinner might have been the calm before the storm. Then a reporter asked what storm, Mr. President, and Trump cryptically responded, you'll find out. So essentially a murderous cabal of liberal elites including Tom Hanks, yes. Barack Obama, the Clintons, all are alleged to have been participating in a child sex ring 
and that this storm is coming where Trump will throw them all in jail and take out these vile elites who are abusing children. Tom Hanks, come on. <laughs> America's dad. Yeah, even Tom Hanks is implicated in this. There are also, I mean, you can kind of tell this is like some right-wing conspiracy nonsense because of how often they mention like George Soros. Uh, I think specifically uh, one of the anonymous posts from like October, I think it was October 2017 when this started. He's mentioning George Soros. He's mentioning Huma Abedin. Just in general, like liberal people who right wingers think are distrustworthy, all in this world are just part of this grand conspiratorial, like murderous regime organized around fucking kids that involves like John Podesta and anyone who works for Hillary Clinton, any of these people that. Are these people know about or they're, they're going to make up stuff about. They call these bits of information literally breadcrumbs, like almost like a game really to a lot of these online QAnon people. And it has bled into the real world, as we said before. Will Summer, uh, S-O-M-M-E-R, is a great chronicler of all the insane right-wing fringe definitely a good follow on twitter he shared a billboard in georgia that just said hashtag QAnon, truth is freedom which has been tweeted by a few of these prominent uh alt-right accounts also just and this was happening before i guess it caught the mainstream media's eye at this trump rally where trump said that you needed a photo id to go to the grocery store <laughs> Uh, Dan, we have to play the clip from Trump saying you need an ID to go to the grocery store. Yeah, absolutely. But before we do, I just want to say people have been showing up to these Trump rallies with QAnon shirts, their whole family wearing them. It, almost like it's like a sports jersey the whole family can share in. It is extremely bizarre. But yes, let's play our brain dead president. This is just the latest, this completely ridiculous utterance. We believe that only American citizens should vote in American elections, which is why the time has come for voter ID, like everything else. Voter ID. You know, if you go out and you want to buy groceries, you need a picture on a card. You need ID. You go out and you want to buy anything. You need ID and you need your picture. In this country, the only time you don't need it, in many cases, is when you want to vote for a president, when you want to vote for a senator, when you want to vote for a governor or a congressman. It's crazy. <laughs> well, as you know, we only play Trump clips when they're really worth your time. And I think that one's really worthwhile. Yeah, homemade QAnon shirts popping up more and more at Trump rallies. There were people yelling at CNN's Jim Acosta to ask Trump to talk about Q. <laughs> Obviously, Trumpism is kind of a big tent for all of the weirdest people possible. I think the thing with QAnon that annoys me so much is how lazy of a conspiracy theory it is. It's not even a cool one, like Paul is dead or something like that. Like, There's so many great conspiracy theories that I totally wish were true, 
And this one isn't even as good as like the what they faked the moon landing. Like that's a lot more interesting to me than I guess this. Uh, it's just obviously too large to be true on any level. No, it's a wish fulfillment. You know, I feel like with conspiracy, especially like this, it, it's a way to make the world more understandable and like the the idea that Trump is as fucking like dumb and useless and bloated and selfish as as he actually is is too hard to stomach for these people so they need to justify their continued support for him by suggesting he's this like alpha hero out of like a fucking Harrison Ford movie yeah they're like he's not an idiot he's a sick poster just like me but I think with this conspiracy theory I think you're you're hitting it on the head with the idea that it helps people get over the fact that reality blows 90% of the time. It's a very 2018 kind of conspiracy theory in that, like I said, it is so impossibly large. It's not as something as even as manageable as faking the moon landing or planning 9-11. <laughs> like, it's literally not even as plausible as that. It's just completely bananas. And I think that there's not uniformity in what... QAnon believers actually believe is true. The idea is that it's these like cryptic messages that people need to decipher. Some people have thought that, like, I mean, this is getting really out there. The conspiracy theories about conspiracy theories, but I mean, some people think that the Q posts are like a sort of weird alternate reality game. If that makes sense, you know what I mean by an alternate reality game, like Second Life. Yeah, yeah, or the um, cicada thing where they, like, randomly put out a bunch of, like, absurdly difficult puzzles and nobody knows where they came, the signals that transmit the puzzles come from. I'm, I'm butchering this conspiracy theory, but it's this, uh, an alternate reality game, apparently there's, like, a puppet master who puts these clues out into the world and makes them available to people in a clandestine manner, and then people can, like find the clues and then if they do the right thing then the guy will contact them or something I, it's in a lot of horror movies as well <laughs> like the unfriended series or whatever i guess in general you gotta look at this like you looked at birtherism it's absolutely fucking ridiculous but unfortunately a large contingent of your neighbors probably believe it yeah, and the reasons, like we've said, the reasons people believe them are very important, even if, like, the minutiae of what all the nonsense they believe is not that important. So it is something we had to bring up on the show, especially since it's something that's very online and is starting to transpose itself into the real world alarmingly quickly. Also, just lastly, didn't a guy, like, accost Michael Avenetti, the lawyer for Stormy Daniels, <laughs> That that big piece of ham. Man, do we know what the QAnon people think about him? I, they, I assume, think he's probably in on the satanic uh, rituals. Obviously, we've seen with, I guess, people who oppose Trump. They're, everyone makes a big deal about what Sarah Huckabee Sanders can't get through a lunch without getting yelled at or something like that. But the right wing is even crazier with like the Pizzagate shit where the guy literally shot up the Comet ping pong restaurant in like Northwest DC, which I've been to. And it's utterly, I mean, we talked about it on the show. It's utterly benign. It's so banal that I guess it could be covering up a giant child sex ring, or it could just be like a mediocre pizza place. <laughs> 
the thing about it that is so utterly like incomprehensible to me is how you can apply it to everything and say that daddy's controlling everything when in reality like there is no one driving the bus you know (laughs) yeah there are no adults in the room and that's a good life lesson in general i think there's no i think with conspiracy theories there's this idea that like things would be running normally but something one little hitch got in the way and now something's messed up and something's wrong now as opposed to look society has systemic issues that make life suck on a daily basis and that's a hard reality to face i guess yeah well jordan peterson's found a new way to cope with his hard reality (laughs) yeah he and his daughter on a new hustle jordan peterson the hack psychologist that we've talked about a lot on this show for his attacks on like identity politics and whatever else he talks about but his he claims that meat cured his depression and now his 26 year old daughter has like a side hustle or maybe a main hustle telling people about how she only eats meat for every meal of the day so if you only eat meat don't you get what's the scurvy you can get scurvy yes absolutely (laughs) (laughs) just living out the pirate life just meat she says she fries or roasts it only no no like uh braising or any or stews or anything no kind of like wet heat it's absolutely has to be like roasted or fried then she adds some salt and washes it down with sparkling water and that's it three meals a day and she is apparently partial she thinks it's best to eat the like only red meat and the fattiest cuts possible. So I guess she's eating like fucking like short ribs for every meal. It's disgusting. And like, yeah, if you don't eat like sugar, you're probably going to be a little healthier, but it's like, he said he lost 50 pounds and he said his appetite has fallen by 70%. It's like, yes, because you're not well, you're not like a wolf. (laughs) You can't eat like this. Have you seen pictures of him lately? He looks like gray as fuck. Yeah, because he doesn't eat any vegetables. We saw that horrific image of him with the Mumford and Sons. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So a half hour talking to Jordan Peterson, the quack's daughter, who's even more of a fucking quack than he is probably. A half hour costs 75 Canadian dollars and an hour is 120. So that and that's like for consulting with her about how you two hey, she has a name. It's Michaela Peterson. I know. <laughs> Either way, she uh absolutely like people are paying money to have a 26-year-old tell them that they should only eat meat. I mean, like, isn't it like kind of isn't that you give away the whole idea within one sentence just eat only meat with salt for every meal and drink sparkling water that's it like, that isn't that the whole thing you can read this guy's book and like you know maintain your health but like don't go get like dietary advice <laughs> from this like just shriveled grayer than like a cartoon of edgar Allan poe he just looks horrifyingly like unwell 
Yeah, he's never smiles. He's exceptionally dour because he's about to puke at any moment because he literally only <laughs> fucking eats meat. Because um, he ate, like, beef. Yeah. So Mik- Michaela said that she came across, she was convinced to start doing this because she came across the story of a woman who claimed that she had a meat diet had treated her Lyme disease. And then she said it was difficult to adjust. She's like, I had diarrhea for six weeks. <laughs> Hell okay, yeah. yeah. Because it's not good for you. The Peterson family, if you're subscribing to any of their teachings, you got to chill. On that. It's just not, it's not good for you. Yeah. It, it's not a good use of your money to support Jordan Peterson's absurd quackery. I mean. <laughs> Just inhaling meat. <laughs> just only eating, like, Kobe steaks, just all, butter. I, I, ugh, disgusting. Well, briefly, we can poke fun at the hacks of the hashtag resistance as well. Yeah, we want to be even-handed. <laughs> A family duo as well. Sam, just, just fucking talk about this, because these guys enrage me. Just They have such, like punch me faces you know that term <laughs> for sure and I, this is a good example of fits in with our theme of these are things that exist only online not in the real world so the krasensteins are these two i don't know youngish white men who are uh, diehard hillary clinton supporters and are obsessed with resisting trump in like the most kind of i guess these kids were definitely bullied hard, I think, in high school because they respond to everything in the most, like, sanctimonious, like, nerdy way possible. And they have no sense of irony whatsoever. And for some fucking reason, they have published a children's book. This is How the People Trumped Ronald Plump, a fun storybook that gently introduces children to the idea that you can respect the Oval Office while applying a critical eye to those who reside in it. Hey guys, my name is Brian Krasenstein and this is my twin brother, Eddie. My son Finnegan was born exactly nine days before Donald Trump was elected the 45th president of the United States. While we knew that it probably wasn't going to be a good thing, we didn't know what a calamity it would ultimately end up being. As Trump's presidency slowly spiraled into what I like to call the Trump fiasco. I didn't really think all that much about it until one day my son came to me and said, Is Donald Trump a bad guy? I didn't know how to react. I had to think for a while. And I realized that on one hand, Trump represents this great nation. And we have to respect that. But on the other hand, he also represents everything that I don't want my kids growing up to learn. I'd like to punch him in the face, I'll tell you. <laughs> and like, which yeah, of course, like political commentators, all of them should ha- should talk to children. That sounds good. And this book is about Ronald Plump, who is clearly some hacky satire of Donald Trump, who is absolutely beyond satire. You cannot write anything that's as absurd as Donald Trump. But in one like cut scene in the book because you know like kids books it's on their pictures and they're on like two pages so you open it up and it's just a spread it's like when you open up an a vinyl record like an lp or something it's donald trump with like a woman who's wearing a persist shirt 
and she's busting out of his like his sack that's like over his not his ball sack like a brown burlap sack that he has like thrown over his shoulder do you want me to read the text on this why not (laughs) ronald plump believed that he could every day grab any woman and just take her away away to his tower in his big burlap sack okay i'm cutting in for a second to be clear dan this is like for kids what is your reaction to that why is he writing like about like a, a rape bag? <sighs> I mean, just it's it's in terrible taste. It's very odd. Like you don't have to be exposing children to Trump's like most depraved qualities when they're like that young. Yeah, if they're reading like picture books, it's maybe not quite the right time to tell them about rape culture and this explicit of. In this, like, heavy-handed way. Absolutely. So, uh, it continues. You should not be watching Rachel Maddow with, like, your (laughs) eight-month-old. Yeah, that's not acceptable. The news is not acceptable for kids. It's all depraved content. But this book continues. Plump took every woman he wanted until one fought back. I can do as I choose, Plump insisted. Nevertheless, the woman, she persisted. Proving a point and proving she's equal, this woman succeeded in showing the people that women and men are created the same and through equality there's a lot to gain (laughs) it's very very silly but also can you just describe the illustrations yeah so we have obviously ronald plump who looks exactly like donald trump and has like the trump hair is walking into plump tower and this he has his rape sack thrown over his shoulder and then like like i said just like this muscular woman with like gray a shorter hair is busting out and she's wearing of the rape sack and it, her shirt just says persist it's a very absurd image now i thought she looked like elizabeth warren yeah i think she's supposed to look kind of i mean obviously the per- she persisted is a mention of mitch mcconnell talking about elizabeth warren but i think it's so weird that these the Krasensteins have chosen like Hillary Clinton, like middle-aged white women as like their avatar of strength. Is that, is, does that read to you? I don't think there's anything wrong with seeing the strength in like middle-aged white women. Like I, I, that's not, I don't see anything inherently sinister about that, but the book is like, this is like incredibly demeaning. They're seeking to profit off of, this villainous Trump character who conceivably is kidnapping Elizabeth Warren to sexually assault her. <laughs> yes. This is creepily like neck beardy stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like almost like it fetishizes the act of resisting rape in a weird way and then is packaging it for kids. <laughs> and by kids, I mean children. I didn't see this and think, oh, this is going to be a bestseller. This is, I think you'd have to, this is this is a pretty select audience, I think, that's looking for this sort of content for their kids. Yeah, either way, a, a very odd example of something that I thought only existed online, the Krasensteins, making its way into the flesh and mortar real world on paper in whatever limited way. Well, let's move on to the pop culture corner and... You wanted to discuss a Daily Beast just 
madcap story that I, I think it does belong in the pop culture corner, but it's because this is truly a story about gaming. Yes, this is like a weird microcosm of some of the biggest forces in America, I think. Because, okay, so this is a story about how the headline is how an ex-cop rigged McDonald's Monopoly game and stole millions. It's the most American thing to ever happen. Yeah, McDonald's, thievery, uh, underdogs. uh, It felt very Scorsese. It's true, and it exposes how through a wiretap on this guy, Jerry Jacobson, they found out that basically after a certain point, it seemed like he worked at the company that produced the stickers for the Monopoly game that McDonald's ran in like the 90s, that where if you collected certain pieces, you could win like a car or even like up to a million dollars. And he was basically just fraudulently through the mob, like distributing these tickets these winning tickets worth, you know, a sizable amounts of money to people for like years. Like the scale of this operation is absurd. Yeah. And the people who engaged in these like riggings were a wide swath of, I would say, average Americans. <laughs> Yeah, this is definitely like the most American thing because the characters. They are were all... okay. The cast of characters is very Coen Brothers. Yeah, yeah, it is very Coen Brothersy. They're all these kinds of like suburban autocratic males. I thought it was so funny. The main guy, Jerry Jacobson, is, is as we said, an ex-cop, and his coworkers were shocked when this story broke because he had always been so zealous about searching them like when they and making sure that they knew how bad theft of you know these McDonald's prizes was and he really played this role and I think it's so funny it goes to show like a lot I mean we can make a hacky joke about the hypocrisy of the police but it goes to show like kind of like you said what's hiding behind like the suburban autocrats like these fucking the stuff he bought is so preposterously funny. He bought like a, a, a Honda S two thousand sports car, just like a, a sports car that costs like thirty five grand in most. Uh, a luxury Acura, a minivan, like an eighty six Chevy El Camino. It's so fucking ridiculous. Like he he had like a red, just a lake house, and then like a McMansion. Like he wanted to join a car club. He, I remember there was one point in which he bought like a sixty five thousand dollar Oldsmobile and stuff. He just wanted the most, like, monotonous Middle America, like, status symbols. Okay, so the scam involved him finding people to essentially give him a kickback. Do you want to go into a little more specifics on, I guess, how he coordinated this? I think he initially just realized he could do it because he talked to his butcher and his butcher was like, it would be really nice if I could get one of those pieces in like a wink-wink kind of way. And the guy was like, I could just do this and demand a kickback. And 
eventually he scales up and one of the big turning points that I was thought was so funny was that he found out that like corporate management didn't want there to be any more winners and like or as many winners in Canada so he was just like he was like well, if it's all rigged then I might as well fucking do as much he had apparently been like small scale before that in terms of giving out these winning tickets to people and then getting a kickback and he obviously had a type he picks people who were like kind of in dire straits in like a very sort of i guess breaking bad sort of way like these people who just need a quick windfall to pay off some debt but it was so funny to me i guess how he went it, it, like he was just so angry that like corporate had betrayed him he like genuinely believed in the game for a while and then he was just like well time and he just go he breaks bad literally I think he was looking for an excuse for a while, you know, and once he felt like he got the go ahead to, you know, like his morals wouldn't be like compromised or like he was like, oh, well, if they're just rigging the shit anyway, I might as well, I might as well see what I can get from it. But again, I, I, I the whole time in, as I knew reading this, we were going to talk about it on the show, I was thinking... Where does this fit with our policy, you know, in our philosophy that stealing is generally fine? I think it is kind of oh, it's fine to steal from McDonald's in a vacuum. But I don't know if I'm like agreeing that you should set up like you can use that to like fund a criminal like network involving like organized crime. I think maybe that's where I would draw the line because of like, the unsavory elements he comes in contact with. He's definitely not, like, a badass. I didn't have mid-Breaking Bad, like, sympathy for him. <laughs> yeah, I never... He clearly was only doing it to be, like we said, just kind of, like, suburban fat cat in, like, a very lame way. And he just kind of set up a Ponzi scheme. But I thought some of the names of these people were so funny. Like, the Columbo crime family is involved. It's just all these, like, random fucking people from i think he was based in like south carolina and georgia and then people just up the mid-atlantic all these like different figures who are all trying to like get you know their uh, enough money through these monopoly tickets to buy i guess uh, either like pay off their mortgage or buy like a sports car from like the 80s or something it's pretty funny and even one of these mobsters jerry colombo what who uh was given a ticket was in one a 1995 mcdonald's monopoly commercial people everywhere are winning big playing the monopoly game at mcdonald's barbara gray won a sea do jet vote Mary Wallingsford won a $2,000 Citibank shopping spree. Kyle McKinnon won a Sega Saturn with a Daytona USA game. Jerry Colombo won a Dodge Viper. And there are two $1 million prizes left. With millions of prizes left, you could be next. So take a break and get a break at McDonald's. Have you had your break today? Just to kind of show you how, like, brazen this guy weirdly was and just i think it's not so much that he got caught because he's dumb as much as he got caught because of the scale of the operation reminded me sort of the wolf of wall street where clearly like you know when you hack capitalism they're gonna stop you because individuals aren't supposed to be able to like rig 
money this easily. Yeah, not unless they've got uh, some corporate muscle to back them up. I mean, yeah, you can't take on, you can't pull one over on like the McDonald's Corporation. And like they talked about in this, how, how fucking, this is one of the most successful marketing schemes of all time. McDonald's made a killing off of these stupid people coming in and buying these monopoly, like buying like food so that they would get monopoly tickets and hopefully win like a Dodge Viper. And it was all based on fraud. It's treating it like it's the lottery, except people are just eating horrible, fatty food. (laughs) McDonald's. That's true. At least, like, the lottery doesn't come with heart disease as, like, a side effect. But, I mean, some of the figures he was involved with, like, this guy, Andrew Glom, who was, like, an ex-cocaine smuggler and just, like, a gambler in Florida. Like, this is a very worthwhile read for the characters you see. And I think there's this perception that's maybe crumbling, but this idea that, like, people who do crime are, like you know evil or have some kind of they're they're like predisposed to it whereas this guy was clearly the opposite but he winds up with like some of the big like some of these big gangsters and shit and it's pretty funny just like any one of your random like business small business tyrants in your area might be something like this i think one of my favorite parts was when amy murray was the mcdonald's spokesperson during this whole scandal there was a disgraced ronald mcdonald actor named joe maggard who called her the mcqueen of mcdonald's and joe maggard was disgraced because he was convicted of making harassing phone calls while posing as the clown ronald mcdonald (laughs) <laughs> i mean imagine the psychological damage you could wreak on like a child in the 90s if you were like you'll never have another happy meal ever again like love ronald mcdonald like the, that would have broken me i just love how that's just thrown into the story though like it, it, it it's a great investigative story it, it's there's so many little moments that are just like what is this and right it is like a quintessentially american sort of caper um but do you want to yeah do any any other details building up to the climax that you want to talk about i mean basically it's funny like the climax is that the the fbi draws like a crude triangle between a shitload of these suspicious ticket winners and finds zeros in on this guy specifically on his lake house that he purchased with all this fraudulent money in south carolina and it's just so funny to me i think i the thing i really took is i remember this game so vividly growing up in the 90s i remember just seeing these things i don't i'm not gonna say like my parents were the kind of people who were gonna be like buying the tickets thinking they were actually going to win because I think they're smart enough to know that it's it's all kind of a scam. And clearly in this case, it's an outright scam. Like it's just a racket. And I thought it was so – it's such a, like an, a perfect metaphor, I think, for the at least the, the American character, but also sort of how capitalism works and why you can't – why you can't expect that people would act differently given the incentives that capitalism creates. I also wanted to talk about this. Vulture redid their list of every original Netflix movie. And 
I want to just go through this list because I think that it's important for all of us to acknowledge that Netflix's original movies, 90% of the time, are pretty bad. They are the kind of things that generally are just filled with stars, but clearly were unable to have a theatrical run because they suck too much. Well, Dan, how can you slander El Camino Christmas, which is a ridiculous Christmas romp starring like Tim Allen? Christmas Eve has turned into a nightmare for a group of people being held hostage in the liquor mart behind me. Here's what we know for certain. Vicente Santos is the owner of Vicente's Liquor Mart. Merry Christmas, Larry. Yes, yeah, spare me. Kate Daniels is working the counter today. You're holding two old men and my child hostage right now. Carl's patrol vehicle's down the road, and it appears to have been in some kind of altercation. In a shootout that's like the whole movie. Uh, how, how could you dare to make fun of such a brilliant film? Well, let's uh, quickly go from the bottom to the top uh we don't have to say everyone but i just want to like i just want to see like what what we've seen and just i want to just do a tally of like all right maybe there's one that you turned off and i just because i think like we got to just assess this like scrap heap of movies that netflix has probably burned like billions of dollars on of venture capital so they rank all 141 of these movies. Uh, the last place is this David Spade movie called The Do-Over, where, I don't know, he's just, it looks like a shitty Adam Sandler movie. I didn't watch it. <laughs> yeah, that actually is one of the things about Netflix that's so funny to me, is they pay Adam Sandler, these random people, like $80 million to do like three movies that literally nobody fucking watches. Well, they said that his Western movie was their one of their most watched movies, which is like absolutely fucking absurd because the movie The Ridiculous Six was so bad. But you have, actually, I liked Game Over, man. That was with the Workaholics guys. I actually thought that was okay. They put that at number 140, second to last. Aww. Well, you can't trust Vulture all the time. I mean, there's... Okay, one of the movies that's on here that I saw that is a real shitter is number 120, Death Note, which is a remake of an anime where they, like... They widened it up, but for... That's not even the worst... Like, that's bad, obviously. They shouldn't whitewash shit. But also, they made it awful. They made the... The original anime is about like a brilliant student who's like the top of his class who finds a note where you, if you write someone's name in it, then they die of a heart attack and you can specify how they die if you write that in. And he uses it to become like a god and like just bring the city of like Tokyo to its knees. And it's this exceptionally brilliant and smart show that is very high concept. And they just brought it to like Seattle and made it like an angsty like non i guess he's not top of his class he's like an angsty kid who might be smarter than average but he just seems to kill people for no reason he doesn't have like any of the absurd like godlike aspirations that light has in, the main character has in death note the original anime and i just don't know why they have to insist on just make a different movie with a similar plot don't make say it's a remake or a an adaptation of the anime if it has like nothing like tonally to do with it. 
Well, like I said, the ridiculous six is that horrific Adam Sandler Western. They put that at number 135. <laughs> and uh, important to note, I believe that was the same movie where a bunch of the Native American extras walked off because of like racist treatment or something. <laughs> but th- oh, wow. You, you mean they were treated racistly in a Western film? Like, what's the plot of every fucking Western film? <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, Bright, we talked about it, number 126. Do we, I mean, Sam, do we remember this film like it was yesterday that we watched it and discussed it on this program in our New Year's episode? I think it's like surviving warfare or something where you always will remember it, but like you also have blacked parts of part of it. Parts of it have been like deleted from your memory or you've blocked them out. Right, and uh, Bright, of course, is by Suicide Squad director David Ayer, and it stars Will Smith and uh, was Joel Egerton. Yes. And there are cops, and Joel Egerton is like an orc, but he's supposed to be like a person of color or something. I don't know. It's really... Yeah, well, they made them an underclass because they made them... and uh, They made them like, I guess, aesthetically black, but then they listened to death metal to just pointlessly like throw you off so that you can't say it's like a racist depiction of black people when it clearly is just that they also listen to death metal and that isn't even the biggest part the biggest part is that that movie was dumb as rocks number 121 the cloverfield parody now i enjoyed this paradox sorry the cloverfield paradox (laughs) freudian slip folks um yeah, well, The Cloverfield Paradox, I enjoyed it when I saw it, but recently I watched Event Horizon, and yeah, it's, it's and like, I, you know, I actually saw Alien for the first time recently, and it's basically just kind of a lot of rip-offs. Yeah, Event Horizon is an utter classic of the genre of space horror, or if you're into any kind of gory, weird shit, any kind of Boskin territory, you'll also like... Um, event horizon i'm very glad that you finally watched that but uh what else did you see on this list dan i saw neil young's movie paradox you know i've been meaning to watch that i haven't yet what did you think (laughs) i think if you were really on some like designer psychedelics it might make sense to you it's mainly just this nonsense of like it's a sci-fi western it's i think it's shot in like one place and they neil young in all of his resplendent like septuagenarian glory is just like scavenging for metal the funniest part is how neil young is built up as this like dangerous dangerous outlaw and all the time it just cuts like dramatically to like his eyes <laughs> and of course we all know like neil has like kind of a piercing stare he's like kind of, and he has mutton chops he's kind of a disturbing looking dude and uh, <laughs> it makes for a, a very odd visual experience it has lots of like psychedelic visual image like cuts and then like you know atonal like guitar playing courtesy of mr young it's directed by uh daryl hannah who is now in a relationship with neil young which i mean dan can we talk about this i don't forget i haven't forgiven neil young for leaving peggy young that that i thought that was like true romance that was one of those couples where you know it just it seems like a genuine love i mean it's unfortunate but speaking of relationships that didn't work out um i don't know if that happened in this movie happy anniversary because i turned it off after 10 minutes 
but it stars Ben Schwartz and Noel Wells, who generally are pretty good. But this movie was so fucking awful, and they ranked it at number one eighteen. It, it was just a, the most generic, a, a non-enjoyable five hundred days of summer, which is a movie I still think is really good. So, Dan, I'm actually having kind of an issue with this. I, I haven't he- seen or heard of, like, 98%. Even the movies that sound good, I have not heard of on this list. Yeah, I mean, and, the, and a lot of these I completely forgot about because I turned them off. Like, The Incredible Jessica James, because <laughs> that was with, like, uh, two dope queen Jessica Williams. And it's it's not not good. It was just extremely boring. She, I think it's just like she falls in love with Chris O'Dowd. Uh, <laughs> How original. I'm going through this list, Sam, and it is really... I mean, there, there's a lot of... Again, there's a lot of big names like, oh, wow, Ira Glass produced a movie, and then you look at it, and it sounds fucking terrible. That's what's so funny to me is just like the... Like you said, the Silicon Valley like venture capital expenditure of just like tens of millions of dollars on like movies that just fucking no one's seeing like how is this a value add did you know they did a crouching tiger sequel (laughs) what come on yeah was it good did they like it i didn't watch it i just saw it on the list (laughs) (laughs) oh my god okay we have to at some point i think it'd be really funny if we watched number 51 Barry, which is Yo. just basically just like kissing Obama's ass during his like, you know, years like in college and as an organizer. What about you? Where are you from? Well, Honolulu mostly. Grew up in Indonesia for a while too. You a whole different type of brother. You do realize that, right? Huh? Man, but it can't get worse than what we actually did watch on Netflix. What, which was the my my next guest needs no introduction with like David Letterman or whatever, and it was Obama, and it was just like oh. the most fucking maudlin like dad interview about nothing. It was it was like if Pod Save America, if the Pod Save America dudes were like washed up in eighty. Okay, I liked a futile and stupid gesture. That was the National Lampoon movie with Will Forte. Um, this oh my god this uh usually i love jody hill and danny mcbride collaborations but they did this movie called the legacy of a white-tailed deer hunter with josh brolin and it's so so bad just not funny at all again though like the names like josh brolin wasn't he in like the most recent avengers movie like these are like famous ass people that cost so much money to book yeah and often you'll see that these movies are shot years before netflix picks them out of the scrap heap because i mean oh my you'll God. look and it's like oh they they released it in 2017 but it came but it was shot in 2014 and it's like if the studio didn't put it out then it's like 
Okay, I'm like in the top 20 and I haven't like heard of most of these. It's like <laughs> they don't market fucking shit. Yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, now you have me thinking like what the fuck is in like the Netflix backlog of shit that they have like we produced a movie starring George Clooney as a rehabilitated rapist or something like what is in there? Well, let's move on, Sam, to an event I think uh, you would be foolish not to attend. (laughs) Why don't we send you out to Dinesh D'Souza showing his new film, a premiere, Death of a Nation, (sighs) which is in Washington, D.C., Oh, well, I guess it's tonight that we're recording, so you you will not be able to attend. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, It's probably happening right now, honestly, but it's Donald Trump Jr. is hosting a premiere of Death of a Nation. Man, I don't know. I think people at work would be like, (laughs) they'd be like, are you okay if they found out I went to one of those? A Dinesh D'Souza screening? (laughs) Yeah, bro, you want a movie pass uh, Death of a Nation later? (laughs) Uh, Sam, we have to inform the Notary Commission of D.C. that uh, you attended an event that was put on by Donald Trump Jr. (laughs) Good Lord. Okay, so Death of a Nation, uh, Dinesh D'Souza owns, he's an absurd fucking sophist. And well, let's play some of the trailer for Death of a Nation, because uh, why not? Yeah. Lincoln was elected to unite a country and stop slavery. Democrats smeared him, went to war against him, assassinated him. Now their target is Trump. America was never Slavery genocide war. Donald Trump wins the presidency. So help me God. They say he's killing America. There will be a vote to impeach. They say he's a racist. This was a white lash. And a fascist. Who are the real racists? Northern Democrats had conspired together with Southern Democrats to take away the fruit of other people's labor. Who are the real fascists? Mussolini and Hitler set up and ran welfare states. This was done by the do-gooders, the liberals, the people who wanted to improve society. Which party attacks our free speech? How dare you speak against the villa? Our religious liberty and our personal safety. So as you were saying, a sophist is a great word to describe Dinesh D'Souza, and why is that? Like, what's his style of, like, like what, how does he choose to, like, argue? He argues in a way that seems, like, plausible at first because he, he, like, mentions things that are, that like, facts and accurate, like, historical details. But he uses them to argue the stupidest things possible. The m- most recent... Um, work by him is i guess this movie death of a nation which is obviously a play on birth of a nation for some reason and uh (laughs) creepy and um it's about how the democrats that's right folks the democrats like chuck schumer uh caused slavery and the assassination of lincoln they also argue something that he's argued before in previous books that Adolf Hitler and fascism are more aligned with liberal ideologies. And 
he goes on like with the, the the Nazi thing. He goes on to cite the fact that like I mean, in the 1930s, w- white liberals were all over fucking eugenics. Like this is known. Not the World War II discredited eugenics finally, but in the 20s and 30s, I mean, like Henry Ford, Walt Disney, like all these people were very sympathetic to eugenics. People who would otherwise be considered part of like this liberal, what would be called today, I guess, like a liberal intelligentsia, but. It, it should not be lost on you that the lack of historical context here is just fucking glaring. Clearly, we're not in the same world as we are in, as we were in in the 30s in any way. So the Democrats of today are not the Democrats of like yesteryear. I mean, he just doesn't take this into account in a way that makes it impossible to take his arguments at any kind of like face value uh he goes on to say revisionist history is nothing more than revising history to correct the previous generations of revisionists who have written their own history um this is in response to people calling him a revisionist he says what happened is we are the products of what I would call progressive history. Progressive history began in the 40s and 50s, and most of our textbooks, the History Channel, reflect progressive history. I'm challenging progressive history. In that sense, yes, I am a revisionist. Like his whole argument boils down to you're not I'm not a Nazi, you're a Nazi. Like it's it's that childish. He was an up-and-coming conservative, I guess, pundit, popular with a, a segment of conservatism and then I don't know when his shit sort of like the wheels fell off when he started veering more into these like conspiracy theory movies, but he's the same guy who made like Hillary's America and a couple of other awful films. Yeah, I mean, Dinesh D'Souza has always been kind of uh, his career is a disaster, and he's very emblematic of the fact that only in trump's washington dc could people like him or any of the people who've worked in trump's like white house like stephen miller like sebastian gorka who recently blocked this very show's twitter account for no reason follow at plunge underscore podcast for content too hot for sebastian gorka i don't think we've ever even really interacted with him but he just preemptively blocked us we might have trolled him once or twice, but nothing crazy, so Gorka's a thin-skinned boy. Okay, so either way, Dinesh D'Souza in like the 2000s kind of squandered all the political capital he had with the right wing by arguing that uh, 9-11 was the result of Hollywood liberals who were like portraying Western sexual decadence. And basically conservatives were like, okay, that implies that we have the same values as bin Laden because we're also sexually like conservative about sex. Um, he also like just has bizarre conspiracy theories about Obama. He says his dad was like an, an African socialist um, that he, and he, he, he's just one of these like bizarre, I think he's a birther guy too. Yes, that's accurate. He's someone that I think people are quick to dismiss, but, I mean, people buy these stupid books these days, and even though it's Trump's America, which is the only reason he's allowed to be in, like, D.C. promoting his preposterous movie, I mean, there are definitely, sort of like QAnon, there are people who you know who believe this shit and think this is, like, compelling. Well... Let's move into story time, and I'm telling the story this week, and I know that you enjoy cooking programming on TV. Yeah, you could say that. Did you know I actually worked in a Food Network show? Yeah, I I remember this summer. (laughs) 
So it was, I believe, summer after sophomore year of college, through a friend, I got a job as a production assistant on a, well, it was a dessert show. A sweet genius masters the exact science of desserts with limitless imagination. The result? Magical, edible art. This sweet genius is on a mission to find chefs who share his obsession with perfection. And he'll use anything to inspire them. Darkness. An oyster with a pearl inside. I have no clue what's going on. I am a sweet genius. Are you? And it was essentially chopped, but for desserts. And it was called Sweet Genius. Hosted by this absurd Israeli man whose catchphrase was, You are no sweet genius. Let's play a clip of that right now. Chef Chad, in that test, you were no sweet genius. So this was the show. I was not really in my element on this set. And the first day, my first assignment was to pick up a truck in midtown and take it to williamsburg but uh they don't let you rent a truck if you're 20 years old so i was unable to serve as a production assistant and i agreed to stay on as an unpaid intern (laughs) but basically doing the same amount of work but not getting paid at all and You know, when I was younger, I thought working in TV would be awesome. And, you know, I've kind of stuck with the broadcasting field for a career uh, so far. And I guess working on organizing, like, spoons, it's just, it wasn't really for me, especially to receive no money for it. But fuck, Sam, I was a terrible PA. (laughs) I mean, okay, so I've never worked in any kind of, like, TV job thing. Like, what are your average duties as a PA? Tell the listeners. Well, you work for 12 hours. Um, You got to get there at, like, 6 or 7 a.m. And essentially just do the jobs that nobody else wants to do. And I guess for some people that works because they have, like, a specific goal in mind. But if you're just kind of, like, passively interested, like... It's pretty grueling, uh, thankless work. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun. And uh, I can say in TV, it's very generally very high stress because there's always more to shoot than you have time for. And you have to constantly be crunching time and it gets very stressful. But I have to say, I didn't make it long into the shoot and three days in. I drove in with the intention of quitting, and I followed through, and the worst, well, I don't know, is this the worst or the best moment, Sam? Maybe you can help me determine that. Sure. When I said to the director or the production manager or whatever that, yeah, I have to like find a job where I get paid, and I can't really keep coming here i can't really keep doing this every day when in reality i just didn't really like the work and the uh, you know the hours and it was just kind of boring and she was like oh that's fine but you know you're here so you can work the rest of the today right and i said it was such a larry david moment i was just like no 
No, of course not. No. <laughs> Why would you do that? Like out of the goodness of your heart, you would do like a day's labor for free? Because s- people in the entertainment industry have no regard for the time of younger people. Okay, so I will say like when I worked in a restaurant that had f- movie shoots come through, I remember because there were some times where I would z- like site rep or even my food is featured in uh, a, a motion picture movie. But I would see like the production assistants, I guess just running around like crazy, just doing everything. I always had to interact with them and not anyone else. But 90% of the fucking people at this movie shoot were just standing there. <laughs> I was so annoyed. <laughs> I was like, because I guess a lot of them were obviously extras. But either way, it was just so weirdly frustrating to see like this mass of people like filling just like the bar and the patio and everything. And just so many fucking like uh, just in between all these people were just the production assistants like dashing around and just fucking doing everything. I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty active work generally. Uh, there's millions of people who did this for more than three days who I'm sure could speak about it uh, in way greater detail and probably have more interesting experiences than, well, I didn't really like using my, you know, every fiber of energy to get up at 5 a.m. <laughs> to go to like a shitty Food Network show that I don't give a fuck about. It was one of the first times that broke the idea for me that well, if I just get into this field, I don't really care what I'm doing. I just want to be in the field. Whereas then I kind of realized, like, well, I, I, I do want to do something where I don't feel like I'm being, you know, completely taken advantage of hours-wise. Plus, uh, it helps to not be, you know, I, I don't know if I'm a manual labor guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you already said the name of the show on it, right? Sweet genius. You were no sweet genius. <laughs> the guy from the show, Ron Ben Israel, is on um, a new show called Cake Wars. Yeah, he was a famous like pastry cake guy, I think. I never met the man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. I guess you've found your niche. You've... You've got a a voice for radio. You're a broadcasting kind of man. I I, th- I think you're better than the TV medium and the, like w- I, you kind of have like a dream job in a way. Like, I, is that like I, I'm wondering how in, what that's because I don't like I don't work in like a job that most people I guess want. So I don't know. Do you think you have like weird labor issues as a result of that? I think that when you have a job that you actually want to be at, you definitely let things slip maybe that you wouldn't at a job you didn't give a fuck about. I guess the difference with radio to me is at least in my experience is it's it's more of a reasonable sort of job where you can have a life outside of it whereas in television it's all encompassing. And generally, the jobs in production over that sort of thing. I mean, you don't have any consistency in your life at all. Yeah, it definitely seems like kind of a ruthless work environment from like my limited experience with it. Yeah, but uh, hey, you know, I like like you said, found my niche, and uh, I didn't need to be a sweet genius. <laughs> 
I should have just like taken a handful of like a, they had like a ten thousand dollar cake on the way out. I should have just like <laughs> dunked my face in it like Mrs. Doubtfire. And then you get like sued over the handful of cake you grabbed on the way out. Hello, <laughs> folks! It's the plunge. You know where to find us on Twitter at plunge underscore podcast at spaventacular at wagstank for Sam. And we gave you a lot today to chew on QAnon, uh, McDonald's Monopoly prize game scam, the P- Jordan Peterson family meat diet. <laughs> the family meat. Ugh, God. <laughs> Dinner at the Peterson house in the household, Dan. Like, just go. Ew. <laughs> well... Thank you for skipping the Dinesh D'Souza premiere to record tonight, Sam. I know you really wanted to be there. <laughs> yeah, I had already uh, blocked out the evening, but I, I, I'm i willing to make sacrifices for the show. Well, if you ever have a topic you want us to do or really, like, we want to we wanna hear from you, fans. So send us a DM on the sh- at plunge underscore podcast account and uh you know we, we we want we're happy to engage yeah or if you have think we're wrong about stuff then you know yell at us get mad everybody's mad but don't be like gorka and block us <laughs> have courage have have a soul yeah we're we're reasonable at the plunge all right folks goodbye <laughs>